Good morning. I am, I'm, I don't know why, I am especially excited to be here today, which is not necessarily good for you, but um, <laughs> because sometimes that means, what get, I get excited about ideas that I don't really fully understand, but I can kind of sense this is good stuff. Um, so you may leave with more questions than any kind of answers. Um, let's see, oh, let me, uh, I had a couple things I wanted to say just at the beginning. Um, oh, one is I am going uh, to El Paso and Juarez next Saturday uh, for, I don't know how long I'll be down there, maybe a week. And I'm, I'm going, I've just had it on my heart, I just want to go see what's going on. And so there is a ministry that is part of what they do in terms of ministering to sort of the issues at the border is they do an immersion program for groups and um, I had you know I somehow started corresponding with them and I told them you know I'm not I'm not a group and they had a little opening with um, a very small immersion encounter so it's just another couple and myself I haven't met them and what we'll do is we'll meet with sort of the, the whole gamut of people that are connected to these issues with immigration and the border, including border agents, um, hear their stories, and of course, ministries and people on both sides. So all of that to say is I'm doing a little fundraising today, but good news is it ain't a, not, a, not expensive. What I'm going to do is I'm going um, to bring diapers to them. I told them I just want to bring something. And I've, I've been involved with people in poverty, and, and diapers can be just a terrible dilemma for folks that are in poverty, where you're having to decide, do we keep sort of cleaning out the old diaper, or do we eat today? And so it's small, but that's what I'd like to do. So if you wanted, um, you know, this week, give me a call. I can come pick them up. Or if you wanted to just give me a check, that, that would be fine. Yes. No, no, Pampers. Yeah, cloth won't do us any good, right? Because they can't. That's the other part of the dilemma is they, there's no place to wash. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for asking, clarifying. So yeah, just Pampers. If you give me, if you give me money, what I'll, I just don't, thought of this morning. Probably what I'll do is I'll wait till I get to El Paso and I'll go to Costco and uh, and buy the diapers. Okay. One other thing. I don't know if anybody will want to, but if you wanted to ask a question as I'm talking. You can ask anytime. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put my phone number up there and you can just text me. Now, if you're gonna do that, which is great, if you would put your phone on silent, I don't need to because nobody calls me, but <laughs> other than my wife and kids, and I know they're, not, they're busy today, that's all I get. So, if you um, wanted to put your phone on silent and then if you wanted to have it out and you could text me, I'll put mine here and it'll vibrate. Um, if you do that, all right? Yeah, 303, there you go. Um, and honestly, even if you wanna write that down and give it to you know, people that solicit, that's, I'm so lonely that I'll, I answer every call. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not a problem. Poor guy that calls me, I just talk and talk. Um, think of a time when you were scared. Think of a time when you were scared. It could be anything. It could be, you know, physical or emotional. It's a very human experience, right? Like, if I ask the question, I 
don't think there's anybody in the room who can't recall some experience of being scared or frightened. As a matter of fact, your brain, you may be having to sort of figure out all of them. Maybe you're flooded with stories. Um, there is also a, um, a, a type of fear that we call phobia. And, and phobia is different. Phobias are typically sort of unique to different individuals. They're not the things that everybody is afraid of. And as we know about phobias, they're not necessarily rational, are they? I don't know. I'll pick a couple of the popular ones. Take flying. You know, that's a very popular phobia or... Spiders. My son's a big guy. He's, you know, big, strong guy. Petrified of spiders. Petrified. Like if he has to do something in the basement or crawl space, he calls me. He, just, he, he can't do it. Did you know public speaking is a huge fear and phobia of some people? Did you know that public speaking ranks higher than death in fears of people? What we know about fear is that somehow it is part of, of our, um, our, I don't know, our personhood, that, that, that it's all connected to this idea of death. All fears prompt in us the, the same thing, regardless of what it is, it triggers this idea that I don't want to die, I want to live. And that includes the non-rational phobias. Most often, if we have a friend or someone we know that has a phobia, we want to be helpful. So what do we say? If, if my friend is afraid of flying, what would I say? What is usually told to a person who's afraid to fly? Yeah, statistically, right? What's more likely to happen? Car crash. That's, I think, the most common. You're, I mean, astronomically safer, right? Spiders. I think that's got to be below car crashes in America. I know for certain my son has never met somebody, well, that would be silly, who died of spider bite, but I, I guess I, you get what I'm saying. Public speaking, what are you supposed to do if you're afraid to be a public speaker? Yeah, picture everybody in their underwear. Yeah. Oh, please, Lord, let them be wearing underwear. Anyhow, um, <laughs> fear and, and phobia, they're, they're, they're not necessarily the same thing. Phobias are not necessarily rational. Fear, in a sense, is. I, I, I remember I was in... Um, I was on vacation, and April was on the beach, and I was, uh, I was boogie boarding. You know, I'm not real good, but it's real fun to catch a wave, and it just kind of throws you back into the, it. Was, I was having a great time. And a Coast Guard guy, or no, a lifeguard guy, came up on a jet ski behind me, and he said, hey, I need you to move closer in. We've got a bunch of sharks right in here. And I didn't go, statistically, the chances of dying of a shark bite are way less than driving in a car. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I took off, no question. As a matter of fact, I said, you don't need to worry about me anymore. I was on the beach. 
I'm going to teach you a new fear today, a new one perhaps you've never heard of. And it's a real, it's a real fear, it's a real phobia. It's called filiophobia. You want to know, guess what it is? Fear of love. It's a fear of love. And it's a real thing. But just like folks very rarely overcome a phobia because we give them new facts. In fact, the way that people overcome phobia is we give them new experiences. The Bible seems to tell a couple of stories that can be hard to understand. And at first glance, they in fact seem contradictory. I'll let you sort of, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, I'll let you sort of fill in the blank here, okay? The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Perfect love casts out all. When God appears to someone in the scripture, what is almost always said first? My dad was, uh, I, I think I probably told you this, he was about, he was 6'3", maybe a little more. I don't know, he had like a size 13 or 14 foot. And he weighed, in my lifetime, between probably 350 and 400 pounds. My dad had seasons in his life where he was, uh, had lots of money, but my dad couldn't, didn't know how to keep, and then lots of times when he was very poor, and a big section of my childhood after my parents divorced, my dad was poor. Um, and we lived in Birmingham, Alabama. This is in the 60s, and my dad moved in, had to move into, because of affordability, into North Birmingham. Now, you may not know Birmingham, but North Birmingham, and I want you to think 60s, was predominantly a, a black part of town. Birmingham, when I grew up, was, was completely segregated. It wasn't, integration was the law, but that didn't mean people did that. And so there was, in my whole childhood experiences, you know, there were only neighborhoods by color, and at that time there were only those two. There was white and there were black. And there would be some white people who would live within, in black neighborhoods, but I never knew a black person who lived in uh, a suburban middle-class neighborhood, but that's beside the point. So, quite honestly, when we would visit Dad, it, whether statistically it's true or not, it was scary. It was a world I wasn't familiar with. It was a culture I didn't know, even though I lived next door, speaking relatively. But because my dad was so big, if I were with my dad, I wasn't afraid.
And this is where the, the, the stories are, don't fit completely with our conversation because, because my dad was so big and he had a problem with sort of impulsive anger. Not every experience with my big dad was one of safety. The very thing that made my dad scary is the exact same thing that made my dad comforting. I want to read a couple of stories from the Bible, and what usually happens with me, especially when I get excited about something, or I, I feel like I'm, I, 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 I can sort of see it, but it, I don't quite, I can't quite grasp it. I can't quite grasp how two stories that seem so opposed, but I know that, that, that they work together. I, I, I usually have all these questions. So this morning, we will simply probably be experiencing stories and questions. The first story is found in Moses. <laughs> Moses, you're not going to find that. It's found in Exodus <laughs> about Moses. I must embarrass my seminary teachers unendlessly. Endlessly. <laughs> All right. Exodus 3. I'm reading from the New, Internet, um, the New Living Bible today. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, he called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. The next story is found in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. 
for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips, and now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here am I. Send me. I want you to um, make a couple of observations with me about this text, both of these stories. One, who, in, who, who initiated this encounter or this rendezvous, do you think? Who's behind this chance meeting? It, it, that's a softball question, rhetorical. Uh, this is going back to first grade Sunday school. You, you can go ahead and say, God. Yeah, yeah, that's the right answer to every question in first grade Sunday school. Um, yeah, I mean, the burning bush could have been anywhere. I, I mean, my opinion, I don't think there's anything special about the bush. And I don't think it was likely that if all the geography where Moses could have been, he just... Oops, I got all excited. I squeezed my cup. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't think it's likely that he just happened, you know, to come upon this burning bush in the middle of nowhere. And the same with, with Isaiah. I, I don't think he could have fabricated his own vision. So holy God is the one who initiated wanting to contact and be connected to these two men, all right? First, that's the first one. Now, now we, we, we hear in both of these stories about the holiness of God, and we'll, we'll come to this in a minute, and how that is what sort of is freaking them out, as it says in the Hebrew. They were freaketh out. And, and so here's the question. Who takes responsibility to overcome the barrier of holiness? Now, I wish when I was a, a new Christian and I was being taught about holiness, and I was taught a lot of, that had to do with girls and holiness, I wish somebody had told me, maybe just try taking off your shoes. Because this seems to be the remedy that God, this high mark, this holy God, who gives to this sinful man, sinful as he is, here's what he says to remedy the holy issue. Take off your shoes. And in Isaiah, who initiates, who initiates the cleansing, the holiness, this dilemma? God. I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't want to get, A, I don't want to get hot coals on my lips. And he could have touched me anywhere in my body, and it would have been filthy and dirty. I mean, it's, 
it must just be a story. We don't have any record of Isaiah like what we would think if he just, you know, if it was like physically tortured. He's not mumbling, you know, I mean, it's not like his face blistered. That God did something. But it didn't hurt Isaiah, and it didn't hurt Moses. But as we said earlier, what is the, what is the, the conclusion of all fears? I'm going to die. Why? Why in these stories was the was it God coming to me in holiness? And why was it God completely responsible for the remedy of this dilemma when it feels like in my theology, in my life, I've heard that the holiness problem was me and that it was my job. And I had to do something to sort of remedy this. Now, I know you know the story of the cross, but existentially, in a way, that's not what it feels like. That's not where I go. And what I've mostly been taught about holiness was that I'm just bad, and it ticks God off. God is, at, at the minimum, irritated and at the most hostile towards my lack of holiness. Now, I, 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 I am not saying that holiness is not scary. It's absolutely scary. But remember that holiness is not just what we tend to think of. We tend to think of holiness sort of exclusively as an idea of sort of a moral purity. But holiness is a much bigger word than that. I don't remember, several months ago we had that conversation where it, it, it includes the idea of power and of, of uniqueness and of um, life-giving. That the encounters with holiness are those. I, somebody had a question? Why say take off shoes? So he couldn't run away and had to stay in his present? Why not belt or something else? That's a great question. I have no idea. Um, I, 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 to be honest with you, there may be deep theological meaning to that. But on the other hand, maybe there's also simplicity in it. It's, I think it's God simply telling a story. He, he, yes, he, I suppose he could have said belt or lips. <laughs> I, I don't know. I may be completely missing it. Um, all I know is the conclusion of whatever it was is that it was going to somehow remedy this issue. But thanks for the, that, thanks for the question. I, I will try not to always just answer, I don't know, because then it would be silly. But anyhow, again, I, I'm sorry if I'm belaboring this, but Holiness is in some ways one of the more difficult um, attributes of God to grasp. As far as I can tell, it, it's the one that is the most difficult to understand why that's good for me. 
You, you see, we know in the other attributes of God that I, I can immediately connect how that's wonderful for me. In other words, God is love, so that means he loves me. If God is mercy, then God is merciful to me. If God is powerful, I can be safe and protected. All of those attributes I connect to how they serve me. But holiness seems to be the opposite. It's always, it feels like holiness is the one thing that is bad news for me, not good news for me. It's probably a human tendency, but we, we tend to sort of fragment God as if he is, that one attribute is, is not intricately dependent or connected to the others. You can define two, any two attributes in the same way, you know, in, a, in a sense, because they're God. In other words, there is not the power of God without the mercy of God. There isn't the holiness of God without the love of God. There isn't the justice of God without the compassion of God. We struggle, we're human, all we have are these words, but they are not fragmented from each other. God's love is, is expressed and lives within his holiness. And so I know it has to be good for me. I want to share a couple of stories from what I would call the dark years, junior high. I was, in, um, I was in eighth grade, and um, seventh and eighth grade were, I'm sure, probably the hardest years of my life. My family, my mom's alcoholism, my stepdad's rage, my own social awkwardness and inabilities. Um, and so in eighth grade, one day in geography class, my teacher, as we were, it was sort of, we were just quietly having to read something, and he called my name and said he needed to talk to me out in the hall. And I, I knew that, you know, I hadn't been doing the work and hadn't really cared. And I, I knew I was, you know, I was in trouble. So he called me out into the hall and he said, uh, Carl, I'm worried about you. Is everything okay? What's going on at home? The teacher who I was afraid of, the teacher who had the power to hurt me, make my life harder, was concerned for me. And in that hall in eighth grade, it, and I could not understand or grasp why, I began just to bawl. Poor teacher. All he asked was, hey, I'm worried about you, and I just come apart. I mean, I come apart. It is only much, much later as an adult looking back that I understand what happened. 
oh, how I wanted that, even from the people who so much hurt me. Oh, how I wanted my stepdad to say to me once in my life, I'm worried about you. I care about you. Oh, how I wanted my dad to say, oh, Carl, I'm so proud of you. Is it possible that love is more painful than punishment? I was in ninth grade, and I finally started to make it a little bit. I, I began at the beginning of that ninth grade year to, to finally have made some friends, some guy friends, and I, I was beginning to feel like I was breaking into a little bit of, of, of coolness. Now, I'll tell you the secret was, you see, I, I had um, saved up some money, or I can't remember how, but I got, a, I got this shirt. It was a denim shirt. Denim shirts were cool in the sort of the mid-70s. Um, my parents never wanted to spend any money on clothes we asked for that would help us fit in. You know, um, they said it doesn't matter what you wear. That's, that's not what people, it doesn't matter. And I never said anything, but I always thought to myself, then why do you wear a suit to work? And why do you buy such nice dresses, Mom? That would have, I would have gotten a beating for that, but that was in my head. But anyhow, I got this shirt. It was a denim shirt. It was the first sort of right piece of clothing I think I had ever had. And um, forgive me, this next part is really going to be hard for you to understand, and it is, it is offensive. But in ninth grade, it, whatever, for whatever reason, in the educational system at that time, my literature teacher said, on Friday, we have, it's free reading, and you can bring anything you want. I don't care what it is. You, you can bring a magazine. You can bring a book. You can, I don't care if you bring a pamphlet. You just have to read on Friday. And me, beginning to be cool, uh, I brought a Playboy. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry. I'm, and honestly, I was a very late bloomer. I don't even, I don't think I even know what to do with a Playboy, but it was... It was me wanting to be cool. And uh, I had the, the, the last period of the day, I, I didn't have a class, and so waiting in that last period before we got on the bus, um, I, I remember I was sitting in the commons area with some of, my, some of my new cool friends, and I happened that day to have on my cool shirt. And I was showing them my Playboy. And there were these um, two, two girls, I think they were juniors, and they were offended. And they came over, and they, they, they took part of my cool uniform. I had in my pocket, I had a fountain pen a nice pen, you know, the ones where you put the cartridge of ink in. They pulled it out of my pocket. And they started flicking ink on my only cool shirt. I got really, you know, I got really upset. And it, with my 
verbal skills. I said, stop that. And then they sort of beat me up. I mean, they didn't physically hurt me, but they ignored what I said, pushed me around, and they humiliated me. You will detect a pattern. I, um, I started to cry <laughs> in ninth grade at the table with my cool friends. And so I got up and I, I headed for the door. I walked past the assistant principal. He said, Carl, if you can't take it, you ought to get out of here. And then right as I got to the door, Marie Zamora, who was a cheerleader, she looked at me and called me a crybaby. Again, I, it was many years later before I understood why I was crying. They didn't hurt me. And it's just a shirt. But it was because I thought I had friends. And they joined in the mocking. And they joined in with the teasing and the ostracizing. And I thought they, I thought they liked me, but they didn't protect me. You'll understand where I'm going with this. They had the power to help me, but they didn't. Is God scary? I, I don't know. But I know that the very thing which would make him scary is the very thing that I've longed for. Someone who has that kind of power to be on my side. I mean, what does it mean when the scripture says, what would it profit a person if they gained the whole world, but they lost their soul, but that they continue to live in death, is how I hear that. What would it mean to be born again except that we are dead? Or to rephrase Jesus, we fear losing what mistakenly we call life because it's familiar and it feels like we can control it for the very thing we really want, which is to live. It's real life. The Bible, which seems to be telling opposite stories, is always telling, in fact, the same story. That death is the only way to live. That what scares us is the very thing that will comfort us. Jesus said, I am life. Fear not. That does not mean 
that he's not scary. Think of it like this. Is change scary? Is intimacy scary? Is trust scary? Of course. How do we experience life? How do we grow as a person? Isn't it when we change? Isn't it when we taste intimacy? Isn't it as we begin to trust God? Is God scary? Maybe. But God's good. And God who initiates and wants the encounter is the one who makes the encounter possible. Hey, let's pray together. In just a moment, we will we'll tell a story. We will sort of act out, in a way, the gospel, the good news, the story of how much God wants to be with us. This holy, totally other God who on one hand is incomprehensible, but wants to be with us. Oh, Father, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love redeems the word, redeems the idea Perfect love. Oh, how we long for that. But we don't long for it as much as you long for us to have it. And so we're really grateful for that. Oh, God, I pray that your perfect love would find me in all the places I hide because I'm scared. Before I go to the elements, I'm going to now describe them for you, and then I'd like to do them quietly as I'm there. I'd like for you, instead of just listening to me, I'd like for you to maybe today, just be a, a part of this story. And so I'll break the bread as Jesus did on that last night, saying this is my body which is broken for you. And this is, this is the cup, this is the, the blood that's poured out for you. The brown will be the, the wine, the, the blue cup will be juice, 
in on this side, there will be a, a, a gluten-free and a, a juice option. And we invite you. We invite anyone. You don't have, you can be a guest, you don't, you don't, we invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. For our benediction, I would like to share with you what I used to do when I was a junior high camp counselor. I'd like for you to hold your fist up. No, in front of your face, not, not power to the people. In front, of, in front of your face. And I, I'll, I'll give you the words and then we'll do it together. It's out of Hebrews. I think it's 13.5. I will never leave you. Let's do it together. I will never leave you. God bless you. Have a great week.